Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. tedious than people saying, I'm wearing a different studio today and expecting anyone to be interested. <laughs> but we are in a different studio today. I do hope people are interested. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hello. Hello, everybody. It's a new working week here at Times Radio Towers and welcome to Off Air with Jane and Fee. I thought we'd just be a bit more professional this week. I mean, it's already got off to a, a slightly false start. Well, we'll you were waiting for a very long time. I was just, I was just, I was just reading through some very interesting emails and then it says at the top, waft in, reflect on the day, discuss what was in the programme and anything you've been pondering since. I just thought, God, that's an awful lot, actually. I mean, how long have you got? Well, uh, it was interesting because we talked in the last half hour of the programme to an eminent Swedish professor about the, the lack of female crash test dummies. And... It was infuriating, wasn't it? Absolutely infuriating. I learnt so much from that interview because she said that it is not inherent on the motoring manufacturing industry globally to take any notice of research that uses female crash test dummies. So all safety mechanisms in cars are based on male crash test dummies with the obvious implications that if the average is at five foot nine, I don't know, 80 kilogram to 100 kilogram male, yeah. it's going to be a completely different outcome in a crash to a maybe five foot two, 50 to 60 kilogram woman. So that's stereotyping the bodies, but you get her point. And I just would have thought, Jane, it would be illegal by now not to have to include women in any kind of safety survey it's that just, you're doing. I'm completely perplexed. I'm that, flabbergasted. we extra gassed. Well, yes, the more gassed we're flabbered and we're perplexing on it. My perplexometer is off the scale and it was already being severely tested by Nadim Zahawi and Boris Johnson and Richard Sharp. So there we are. So now we've finally, I think we might have reached peak perplexion as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm really going to think about it the next time I get in the car. So I always have to, and you're the same height as me, I have to ratchet the seat forward 
to a level it almost doesn't want to go to in order to work the pedals. There's a certain <laughs> amount of resistance, isn't there? So I, I just sure? I know for a fact that the car is just simply built for somebody bigger than me, but I hadn't really thought about the safety implications. I'd assumed, because I've bought that car myself, Jane. Do you know what? A man has not bought it for me. Really? Really. I must have taken a man with you. No, don't be silly. No, I did it all by myself. Goodness me. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, I used to ask someone to come with me, but I buy my cars all on my own now. I just assumed that as the purchaser of that car, somebody had thought about the fact that I'd be driving it. I honestly, that makes me really livid. Well, I get actually quite angry. I drive a Mini. I think it's okay to mention that. Um, And I would never drive a countryman because I don't don't see why they shouldn't say countrywoman. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I drive a Monte Carlo. Do you? It's, it's very funny. It's a Skoda. Had Southport sold out. It's a Skoda Monte Carlo. And I do wonder whether the streets of Monte Carlo are full of Skodas. Oh, no, they will be. Well, they will be now. They've got their own special. Of course, they're going to be loyal to the Skoda, aren't they? It just, I love, I actually really love a Skoda. It's incredibly simple. There's no fuss or faff on the dashboard at all. Uh, and it's, it's done the business for me. Uh, they've got me for life, actually, but it did make me laugh. If Monte Top Carlo. Gear are recruiting, uh, we're very much available. I should say I was just boring young Kate with the news that I had to have a new battery fitted at the weekend. Kate, you're right. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't show any interest the first time round. Um, and I was helped out by a, a very, very nice uh, person who came to, came to the house. But um, Because it was one of those, you know, when you've got a car, you should really drive it in cold weather, shouldn't you? Well, you need to work up your dynamo, don't you? That's, this is it. You can't just leave it. You actually have to go out and drive it, and I'd completely neglected to do so. Well, that's your next weekend, isn't it? <sighs> out for a little Sunday out poodle. For a drive. I mean, nobody does that. I am of an age where I can remember going out for a drive. Yeah. One of the single most tedious things you could ever do. Well, this is pre-traffic. So, you know, the old horse and cart on the road and... Us in the Vauxhall Viva going for a drive. Mm. I think we ought to start a bit of a campaign, though, Jane. I just think that's so wrong. You know, these days, m- most car adverts have moved away from showing a man driving the car. Yeah. And so there are loads of women being sold, women driving. And actually, if we're not being thought about in terms of safety, we're only being thought about in terms of our purchase power, then uh, they can do one. I, I think that's that entirely reasonable, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Anyway, we've got to get on with this because you need to go home and see if you can think of a friend of yours who can loan me uh, about 800 grand at short notice. Oh, God, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I've got to apply for chairwomanship of the BBC tonight. And you've got that to do. So we've got a lot on our collective plate. Uh, now, who was our guest? It was Amanda Rowan, who... Um, she is a remarkable woman. She is um, where where Fee and I are are not... She has strengths. She's six foot two. And she she kind of, she actually said to us that she'd rather be our height. This wasn't part of the interview. This was off air, wasn't it? Which is appropriate because that's the name of this podcast. Um, and I, I never, I'm never sure I believe that of tall people, that they'd rather have been our sort of height. I don't know. She looked amazing, didn't she? Well, she did. And I slightly, it, I'm, I don't always want to start an interview with commenting on how somebody looks. but I just have. No, no, but, but I did it in the studio today, but it was because she just looked so amazing. I mean, and you know, if you wanted to advertise the advantages of a rural life, 
a very successful television career as well yes. and having nine bands, yes. uh, then you'd look to Amanda Owen. She just looked... I mean, I would just be on my knees. I'd be. I'd look frightening if I'd had nine children, Jane. She, and uh, I wouldn't be able to get out of the ladies. <laughs> it's in, uh, Queen Victoria is the only other person I can think of who had nine children. Well, from Boris Johnson. <laughs> oh, that's why he needs the money. I'm a, fool, I'm a fool to myself, actually. Anyway, we should for anybody who doesn't know, uh, should we? Do you want to describe who Amanda Owen is? She is the Yorkshire Shepherdess. So she came to prominence in the public eye because she did this Channel Five series uh, with her then husband Clive. They're no longer together. I think they're only separated, aren't they? Where she took uh, you, the viewer, on a journey yeah. around the farm, the life of the farm, the life with the kids. Uh, it was really wonderful stuff. It was one of Channel 5's most successful television programmes ever. Uh, she decided that she wanted to become a shepherdess, even though she doesn't really have farming in her blood. She grew up in suburban Huddersfield and just decided that she wanted to work with animals and hit upon the idea of becoming a shepherdess, which is what she has done. She had a very successful series on Channel 5, but now she's moved to More 4 and she's made six really interesting programmes all about the farming lives of other people. So she's left Raven Seat and she's roaming the British Isles talking to farming families and in the very first one she goes to Shetland and it's absolutely beautiful. It's called Amanda Owen's Farming Lives. And when she came into the studio we did start by complimenting her on her appearance. As you should never do, but we did. Mainly me. So Jane and I were just saying in the studio, and you'll probably be able to watch this interview later on the YouTube channel, you put us to shame. So you've come in here, you look absolutely beautiful, you look well-maintained, yeah. manicured, well, well turned out. Not weathered? Yes. No, not at all. Weathered, faced No, healthy. Not the healthy. Very healthy. healthy. Is this a welcome break for you when you come and do things like this from being on a windswept hillside? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I was up early this morning to get a few jobs knocked out before I set off on the train. But now, what kind of jobs? Um, I brought a horse back in. I actually made up some breakfasts and teas for, for horses, sorted out the fridge, sorted out a few sandwich boxes, um, told a few children off and basically... Micromanaged, which is what I spend a lot of time doing. Fingers crossed, I haven't had any calls to say anything's gone wrong, so hopefully things are okay. And when you're away from the farm, because mm -hmm. you're so responsible for so many children and mm. so much livestock, does it stay with you? Is there the constant clicking a in little the back bit. of your mind? Have I shut that gate? All that type <laughs> yeah, of stuff? Shut the gate, the countryside could, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's all kind of logged in there. I'm not a great list person. So there isn't a sort of huge master plan. Should I drop off the mortal coil? Nobody could find the list and keep everything sort of ticking over. Um, but the way we've raised the kids is that they are quite independent. They do a lot of stuff for themselves. You see, there was method in the madness. So, you know, they do, um, you know, they do have the tasks, they do have the jobs, they do a lot for themselves. Obviously, Clive is there. We're co-parenting. That's how you term things. And he is overseeing things. Um, and hopefully things will do my liking when I get back. That's what you well, have to do. You have to juggle, don't yes, you? We I'm hope spinning so plates, We mate. hope so too. <laughs> what do you think the stereotype might be of farmers in this country for those who don't know much about the farming community? Oh, Czechshire, Lumberjackshire, I don't know, um, quite a lot of facial hair. Male, perhaps. Male, perhaps? I don't know. I do believe there's um, uh, a farmer... On Love Island, actually. Oh, there is, yeah, Will. There you go. You see, I wasn't imagining it. I haven't watched it, but I've been told all about it. So he's there smashing stereotypes. I think, yeah, there is a, a sort of general consensus and pictures it, picture in people's minds. It's got to be Wellies, Shepherd's Crook, 
sheepdog at my sides at all times. That's what they think. And do you think it's a sympathetic kind of view of farmers, or not really? I don't. I don't to be quite honest with you, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. You know what your sort of what your idea is of a farmer, what that should actually actually be. Um, I just know that I do my job and I do it well, and I've always found it an industry that's very welcoming, opening, and uh, 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 open and accepting mm. of whoever you are. If, if you're keen and if you're if you're willing, I don't think it matters what you are, what sex you are. It's part of the remit of the program on Channel Four, though, because you're visiting other farmers now yeah. to try and and kind of I don't know, tell a more realistic story of what life on the land is. Yes, seventy one percent of our of our land is farmed, isn't yes. it? Yes. It's- it's a very upbeat programme. It is. It does tackle some of the challenges that farms are facing because it's not an easy time. I mean, there's a cost of living crisis, obviously, that, that has been very much um, at the forefront of people's minds. And it's the same in the countryside. We have a cost of living crisis, a food crisis. But I feel like the crisis that's going on in farming is basically we, we don't know what people want. It feels like everybody wants everything. You know, we want the landscapes, we want the view, we want the cheap food, we want high welfare, we want a place for recreation, we want green energy. It's really difficult to be everything to all people. So it was great not having the spotlight on me and going out and seeing how the people are doing it, how they're coping. Because, of course, the buzzword is diversification, how to make your farm profitable. And that's that's not easy. There's not a one-size-fits-all. So for some people, it might be tourism. For others, it might be creating energy. For others, it might be sort of getting closer to their point of sale and start selling their products direct to the consumer. And it was those stories. Was, what about your own route to diversification? Because, I mean, you've done it. I mean, you are the living embodiment of how to diversify. Absolutely. But I, I read an interview in which you said that actually you earn more money out of taking images of your sheep yeah. than you do out of your sheep. That's a travesty, isn't it? Well, it is, actually, isn't it? Last Tuesday, last Tuesday, if you'd have come to the auction mat with me, a fat lamb at the auction mat, a swaledale, a native bred lamb, that will be 10 months old, it's had a good life, it's been grazed naturally, out on the moors, into the auction mat, £58. Right. In money. And it costs you how much to oh, raise? Goodness, that's the point. You, when it comes to doing the maths, you will never know the cost that goes into, into, into sort of being a grazier and livestock farming. And our costs have gone up, just like everybody else's, your cost of feed, your cost of electricity, diesel, everything... It, it's it's a tough job to be in, and of course the subsidies are coming out of it. So you know the market, well, we're being squeezed. We're being squeezed, and diversification for me, it was like looking about uh, at what I could do to to basically make the farm profitable. And of course we're a quite big family, and quite accidentally I stumbled upon the fact that there was more people out and about walking and rambling, and that I could serve them cups of tea. It was as simple as that. That was a little diversification. It was, it was, it, it, it began there. The conversation with the people coming through, talking to them, which of course led to being on the television and led to being asked if I wanted to do some writing. And that's where it all began. And look at you now, Amanda. Um, oh, it just, it's just made me a whole lot busier. <laughs> uh, what do other farmers who you've met in these travels for the Channel 4 show think about your diversification? Are they grateful to you for shining a light on farming? Is there a bit of jealousy? And what about Clarkson? <laughs> what about Clarkson? <laughs> right, well, 
I feel like it's one of those things that, again, I've alluded to before, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. What works for one farm doesn't work for another. Obviously, there are farms that are picturesque and attract the tourists. There are farms that are more functional, should we say. You've got... um, you know, you've got your extensive farming, you've got your more intensive farming. I guess it's about looking at your location and seeing what you can what you can actually do with it. One of the farms that I went to, um, they were farming on a small acreage and they were farming pigs. And, they, and I mean, to be a pig farmer now, that is a very tough way to earn a living. But they had managed to make um, sort of an artisan product. They were making salamis, cured meats, and actually selling it direct to the consumer. So they were managing to make ends meet. But it requires it requires quite a lot of multitasking, multi-skills. In other words, the farmer that we talked about before that's, you know, wearing his green wellies and maybe doesn't say so much has to all of a sudden become a people person. He yes. has to embrace the internet. He has to... He has to. He has to do. He has, do he's many not going to be as Instagram ready as your good self, is he? <laughs> exactly. Uh, would you rather we didn't press you on the subject of Jeremy Clarkson? What can I say about him? Um, farmers love him. I'm absolutely sure of that because he he highlights the problems of farming, even in sort of um, even under his umbrella of humour and doing it all wrong. He has absolutely brought to the nation um, how difficult the job is. Mm-hmm. So 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 yes. And when we talked before about, you know, um, farmers and stereotypes, he, of course, is not a born and bred farmer, same as me. Mm. So you have to... Farming covers a broad church. It covers anything and every everybody. It covers somebody who is on a hill end farming sheep. It can cover somebody who is, you know, pretty much an agronomist and growing cereals. It can even cover people like Jeremy Clarkson, who had nothing to do with farming and are new into it. I was very struck, the two sisters who you meet on Shetland in Uh, episode one of the Mm -hmm. series, uh, that they are the seventh generation Mm. of their family to farm that land. And I was struck that you said you rather envied them that kind of connection because you're a first generation farmer. Mm. But surely that is the massive problem for some modern farmers, that they don't want to be the one who ends their farming tradition. That's a massive pressure, isn't it? Of course it is. It's like that balance, isn't it? It's, it's um, you know, the traditional element is there, certainly in the kind of farming that we do, for sure. You know, it's been going on for centuries. I personally don't have that tie with the land that, that they did. But time's changing. And you do have to, to a certain degree, move with the times and sort of read the room. That's incredibly tough. Very tough. Would you ever be able to walk away from your farm? I don't think so. I don't think so. I see myself as a custodian. So you're there, you know, you are the keeper. I think if anything, uh, farming, shepherding, you're very mindful of the passing of the seasons, the passing of time. You know, you think to yourself, you just have a limited time and what mark would you like to leave on the land? And for me, it's kind of a sense of pride, keeping the walls up, keeping the farm looking good. And I'm fortunate that the kind of farming that we do is traditional and it is the embodiment of actually what people are wanting, what they're talking about now. The wildlife, the biodiversity, the ground nesting birds, the hay meadows, the triple SSSIs, peatland restoration. That's what we're doing because it's carbon capture. All of a sudden these ideas that are being sort of rebranded and rehashed into a new way of thinking, a new way of farming, 
is actually how it always was. All that happened was at some point people got greedy. The system sort of, the system became too big too quickly. And farms like ours, I believe, are the way forward. Can we just put a quick question to you from a listener in Berkshire? It's basically about the prices that supermarkets charge. Oh, so, you, well, yeah, well, <laughs> you, you mentioned you got, what, 58 yeah. for that lamb. And then mm-hmm. you go to the supermarket and a leg of lamb yeah. isn't cheap. So where does it start to go wrong? Who is making the money here? Middlemen, of course it is. You see, the, you see, the issue is, of course, farming is on the cusp of change. The subsidies are coming out, uh, out of farming. Who has been subsidised? If you think about it, it's probably highly likely that farmers were able to operate just breaking even, maybe even making a slight loss or a small profit, and those subsidies were able to sort of keep things going. Now those subsidies are going... The problem is the supermarkets and the buyers want the same, want their same profits, their yeah. same cut. We don't set the price. We just have to go and see what people are willing, willing to, to give. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You're listening to Off Air with Jane and Fee and we've been speaking to Amanda Owen, the Yorkshire shepherdess. We asked her in the second part of our interview with her how Brexit had affected the farm. To be quite honest with you, it destroyed our market. That's absolutely what it did. Um, The type of land we farm, we're a country that has a lot of marginal land that is only suitable for grazing livestock. Sheep, in other words. Um, and, And we had markets in Europe, Spain... Greece, France, they all wanted the lightweight um, lambs that we supplied. But unfortunately now, that market is pretty much shut off from us. So, you know, we, are, we, we can't change what we farm, particularly on a farm like ours. It's a tenanted farm. It's Ravensheet Farm. It's a tenanted farm. What does that mean, actually, to those of us it who means are not that, It means that the farm belongs to a landowner. OK. You know, we don't own the farm. We pay rent on the farm. And do you know what comes with, that, with the farm? Sheep. You rent the sheep. It's no good me saying, oh, well, lamb trade's terrible. I'm going to do something else this year. You actually take the sheep as well. And should you ever leave the farm, the sheep remain. 
it's a huge flock. They belong on the land. They have a homing instinct. Right. Will you benefit from levelling up at all, do you know? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt, I doubt very much. Once upon a time, 20 years ago, I used to feel like I was sort of master of my own destiny. I was on my end. Nothing could touch me. I was doing my own thing. I was Cathy out of Wuthering Heights. It was just How many me. kids did you have at that point, Amanda? Probably zero. Okay. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> me, and me, me and me thoughts and my ideas. Ooh, and, fabulous. Yeah, looking out over the land. Everything's unchanged unless an aeroplane goes across overhead. But, you know, you know you're, in this sort of, you're, in this, you're in this sort of wilderness. You're in this place that time forgot. Your phone can't ring. There's no mobile coverage. It's a step back in time. Then you realise the world seems to get smaller. You get your connections, you get your, you get your internet in. We still don't have mobile coverage. But, but somehow those connections bring with you the everyday stresses and you realise that this place is... We're all interconnected and you are subject to global forces, just the same as everybody else. Yeah, that suggests to me that you're not all that confident that you will be levelled up <laughs> anytime soon. There's a distinct lack of confidence. OK. A distinct lack and actually, when you come down to London, I say come down because you have travelled to the South, yeah. and, and the, the burble is all about Nadim Zahawi and his taxes and all mm. the rest of it. Does it just seem like a distant dream, Ravenseed? Well, it's, it, it seems it, it, you never kind of, you never, it never really leaves you. I mean, it's probably, it's probably still in my hair. There's probably still little bits of straw and God knows what in there as we speak. But it is kind of a mindset. It's a, it's a, it affects your whole being, your whole character. I feel like a place like that moulds who you actually are. I feel like it gives you something. Those freedoms that I talked about from 20 years ago, standing there, you know, in this open space, I feel like that is what, I suppose, was the kick up the backside. It's given me the the, the sort of freedom to do things. Well, on to the nine children, uh, because it's actually illegal to do an interview with you without <laughs> mentioning the nine children. Right. And the eighth one, I think you gave birth to... Is it in front of the fire on yeah. your Todd? You didn't bother waking up your No, I was partner. really fed up with giving birth at the side of the road. Were and you? I didn't really want to. How many did you had at the side of the road? Uh, six. Oh. Six. Six um, and two in hospital. So, uh, you, so yeah. The, 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 the problem was that we talk about levelling up, but actually everything was moving further away from us, hospital services, everything else. And I decided that as the, they'd moved the goals post and the hospital was rather further away, that actually I wouldn't even set off this time. It was great. I was really happy with it. That was time eight. What, time nine? Time nine I had to set off again because that was too early. She was premature. Oh, OK. But was that, everything was all right, wasn't everything it? Everything was all right. Everything yeah. turned out OK. And I mean, just literally, what, three weeks before Christmas, we had, um, we had another medical emergency on the farm. Um, and that was a scary one whereby one of the children was taken ill and that involved um, a helicopter coming, the air ambulance coming to pick us up. And it's at that moment, you know, people say it must be amazing, you know, living rural, living sort of, living where you do, that's one of the drawbacks, right? Right, well, that sounds very dramatic. Everything's all right there as well, is it? Everything absolutely is all right, absolutely is all right. But, yeah, it was um, it was a scary moment. Do any of your kids really not like the rural existence? Well, they haven't said so. <laughs> they haven't mentioned it yet. 
but they're quite within their rights to 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 decide that they want nothing more to do with farming. I we bring them up to be independent, free-thinking kids who have to make their own choices. When Raven went to university, I always pointed out that ever she got so that she only had a pound in her pocket not to ever buy sausages and she must definitely go vegetarian or even vegan i don't mind it's they're their own people they have their own way of thinking we are there literally to lead them give them hopefully some life lessons that will set them up fantastically for whatever they want to be not just farmers we're not just sort of there to no, sort no. of breed nine no, mini it's not farmers. A farmer, farming factory no. no violet wants to be a doctor she said yesterday i mean whether she is, she's um, very intelligent. She gets good grades. I think a bedside manner would be rubbish. <laughs> she spends the time how dealing old, with animals. How old is she now? She is twelve. Okay, she has got time. She has got to time. improve her bedside manner. I have read Amanda that of an evening you like to uh, work out on the treadmill and occasionally wind down with an absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! What have you been reading? Right. Okay. Right. Uh, both of those things I find extraordinary. I'm hope you're watering down the absinthe. It's a mighty strong drink. It is. Also, how do you have enough energy to want to go on a treadmill? I do after a day on the farm. I haven't. I haven't. I must admit, since Christmas, I am feeling that I've rather neglected the treadmill. It depends what's going on on the farm. Uh, say since Christmas we've had some pretty dire weather we had a lot of rain and a lot of wind and the sheep they were they were hurling they were standing with the backs up they were hating it I was doing the same it was just waterproofs sort of drips on the end of my nose it was just dreadful then it froze and then it snowed um so like this weekend I don't think we've We've stopped. It has just been so full on because the land is frozen, the sheep and the cows are hungry. You have to get into a bit more of a sort of regimented system mm. during the winter. So there's actually a lot of lifting, carrying, running about. So I have been tired. And no, I don't drink absinthe every night. That was Amanda Owen, the Yorkshire Shepherdess. Lots of people in the building were really, really thrilled to I mean, meet I mean, her. John Pienaar's not that easy to impress. And he was completely agog. Yep. Yeah, he really was. I wonder if she'll feature in the King's Coronation Concert. Why would she? Well, because he's very keen on farming. And at one point he was heading a campaign to bring back mutton. I do remember... Well, you have to be very careful about saying that. <laughs> no, he was. He was. He was putting his full weight... Behind the return of mutton. Yes, I remember. Which is remember old that. lamb, isn't yeah. it? Old sheep. It's yeah. almost impossible not to go for a gag there. Though, no, but it? we, we both resisted it. Yeah, let's and leave I it. thought it was excellent. Yeah. So I was, I was just thinking of someone who could reasonably hope to be a compare. But I mean, I don't see how they're going to stop Catherine Jenkins taking part. Well, you're quite excited because the news out of the palace today is that King Charles is going to choose his own Spotify playlist for his coronation and it's going to be all classical tinkles. So there's going to be none of this Brian May up a turret. We're not going to see Sam Ryder in a Diamante jumpsuit. No, Catherine or, Jenkins or is not allowed out of Wales. <laughs> It's just going to be non-stop bark. And you seem to think that this is going to set the nation's pulses racing. I don't think it'll do that, but I think it's fitting for a gent of his age. Oh, and no, was... come on, because he used to love the Supremes, didn't no, he? No, it wasn't the Supremes, it was the Three Degrees. <laughs> he used to love the Three Degrees. It's rumoured to have been very close to one of the Three Degrees. I don't know which degree. <laughs> one degree of separation. I just, I bloody just wish the temperature would go up. I know that much. I can't, I tell you what, this weather is proving to me that I could not live in a cold country it's so brutal have you been it? invited to 
<laughs> the Swedes are always on at me to move there. Yeah. Have you ever seen something? I've, it's a new discovery, but I tell you what, I shall be visiting it again, probably every on a daily basis. The Daily Star's text maniacs page. Um, so the Daily Star has given up on asking for letters. Uh, it just wants listeners, readers, readers, sorry, it wants readers to text them. So I'll just give you a sample. Here we are. Would love a Lewis Capaldi and James Arthur duet. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it wouldn't be printed by the Times, but the Daily Star have, have given it space. And Lewis Capaldi and who? James Arthur duet. Oh, no. Do you know what? That would be... That would be so sincere and sad, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. I, I was once at a... I think you were there at the radio event where Lewis, the young Lewis Capaldi performed yes. when, before he was Lewis Capaldi. And you weren't particularly enamoured of him, I, I seem to, to you, recall. I can't see this catching on. It's just, it's a right old, oh my God. It was very sad. His, his song was very sad, but, but he delivered it really beautifully. It was one of those strange internal events, though, wasn't it? It was when the BBC was handing out gongs to people who worked for the BBC. Yes. Uh, yes we didn't all, get one, we were just presenting bit, It was one. all a little bit suspect. Listen, this is pre-Richard Sharp. Anyway, um, yeah, so that, Lewis Cabold is another one who doesn't need to worry about being available for the Coronation concert because uh, you just won't be required. Right, OK, um, emails. Oh, so do you want to just start off with the one from Susan? It's the short one at the end, Jane. What a mean-spirited aside you made regarding Jacinda Ardern's resignation, implying it was due to selfish reasons. Shame on you from Susan. I don't think it has anything to do with selfish reasons. I just said that you didn't have to be the sharpest political analyst in the toolbox of global rail politic to recognise that she wasn't going to win the election. Yep, and I think she's absolutely blooming marvellous and one of the finest female politicians ever to well, step foot on great, the earth. A great deal um, in her in her plus positive box, but um, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes the voters are coming at you and it might be better to duck out of their way. I mean, I could think of a few British examples of people who should have done, done the same thing. What I do admire about her is that she said she wasn't up to it. and Yeah, and she said she was human and she just didn't have enough... Fuel in the tank. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that is to be that is to be admired. I'm very interested to see what she does next. Yeah. Uh, do you know what, on a serious note, uh, not that all of that wasn't serious enough, but I think she did bring an empathy and a very unashamed empathy to the job. So when she was comforting people and doing the rounds, I think sometimes you can slightly sniff it when they're not really engage with the people that they're talking to. You know, there'll be a little shot of them getting into the car, you know, a little bit like Madonna with the antibacterial hand wash once mm. when, she'd, uh, when she'd been visiting somewhere in Malawi. So there, was n there just never seemed to be anything of that about Jacinda. So I think, I think she shifted the goalposts a bit in yes, a very good way. There were people who, back in the 80s, uh, during Margaret Thatcher's pomp, used to claim to carry cards saying that if they were involved in any kind of national tragedy, they did not wish to be visited in hospital by Margaret Thatcher. I'd like to see one of those cards in a museum. Now. It's, I, it's possible they were just made up. But uh, Anyway, Susan, thank you for getting in touch. We don't mind criticism on the programme at all, and sometimes Jade and I do disagree about things. Only occasionally, though. Well, that's nonsense for a start. Hello, Jane and Fee. As a long-time listener from the other place... Shh. I was looking forward to the new podcast. However, after a prolonged illness and the Christmas silly season, I finally Googled aghast to find I'd missed four podcasts a week since October. Oh, come on. So, Karen has done an immersive experience. Oh, no, poor Karen, don't. I know. During 
the eight days between January the 2nd and January the 10th, Karen has listened to the whole back catalogue in real time. You both mentioned last week that you get a bit of a buzz from knowing that people are listening to you in Australia, so I thought I'd let you know what we got up to during this time. Are you ready for this? Yes. We went on many walks on the beach in 36 degree temperatures, more long walks in the bush around Perth and on the Swan River, even more dog walks and waiting for medical appointments. We did a lot of shopping, a spring clean, a trip to the car wash, two big shops, bulk cooking of healthy 2023 food. We also hung out for an intense 48-hour period while I had a spectacularly bad UTI. My husband also learnt my particular sign language for not now. Jane and I are talking. I did start to get a Pavlovian response to the off-air theme tune music and I think I definitely did a bit of out loud chatting back to you while we were together. You will continue to join me in my life just a little less intensely now. I'll be sharing you with my audiobook. Thank you from the (laughs) bottom of my heart. Well, Karen, mostly I hope that the UTI cleared up quickly. Yeah, I really do too. Is there anything now? than a savage UTI. No, and over the Christmas season, that's really, really unhelpful. Uh, So I hope everything's better now, Karen. You're a very brave woman. uh, And, you know, maybe maybe don't go for the whole lot in quite such quick succession because that cannot leave you anything other than boss-eyed. It may even be possible that that's what brought on the UTI. (laughs) I don't want to take responsibility for that. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Sorry, I must have brought back some memories of, of my own there, Karen. Right, okay. Yes, UTIs always get help. Um, you can't just rely on cranberry juice. I know people just say, oh, I'll drink some cranberry, but I'm afraid it isn't actually enough on its own. I was once very gratified to discover that uh, one of those supermarkets that barely ever closes, they all stock cystitis relief. Did you know that? Uh, well, that is very good to know, but yeah. I think uh, quite often a UTI really does need an no, antibiotic. I mean, but if you're absolutely desperate, yes, if it's yeah. uh, 10 o'clock at night and it's one of those supermarkets that doesn't close till 11, I'm here to tell you they do sell cystitis relief. That is public service, isn't it? Well, very much so. Yeah. Um, this is from is this from, from Jane. Uh, love your podcast, but I'm often catching up with several episodes at a time. I was listening to your January the 10th episode today and I was taken back to my days at primary school when Jane recounted her efforts at swimming galas, inevitably coming last because she couldn't dive and was allowed to push off from the side. I'm 66, but I still remember how I also couldn't dive but was always put in school swimming galas because I was a good swimmer. Unlike you, Jane, I was encouraged to stand on the starting block, but I was allowed to jump in if I really felt I couldn't dive and I knew I couldn't, so I also trailed in last. In what turned out to be my very last gala, I made the decision to try and dive, even though I'd never dived before, let alone off a starting block. I braced myself and as the klaxon sounded, I went for it. I think I did a combination of a jump and a belly flop into the water, which wasn't a pretty sight, but once I reached the surface, I swam for my life. I'd like to say at this point I came in first or second even, but halfway through I was overcome with stomach cramp and had a life belt on a rope thrown out to me to help pull me to the side so I could be helped out. Jane, I'm sorry to hear about that, but God loves a trier. Yes. Did you have a heated swimming pool at school? We didn't have a school swimming pool. It was Liverpool. Okay. We had a kind of paddling, very, very huge, huge, you know, stand-up swimming pool. Like a giant Yeah, like a giant paddling pool. Yeah, uh, the times were hard in Hampshire as well. That, uh, yeah, that was filled with cold water. It had that very kind of bumpy plastic on the bottom into which the creases, God knows what kind of substance, managed to lurk. And the whole thing was just... I have such bad, bad memories of those swimming galas, all the parents crowding round. And for some reason, even though it could only have been about 
I don't know, 30 foot in length. If you got if you got stuck and knackered halfway through a length, you just couldn't finish, could you? I remember being in a race and really? it just... What would you do? It just seemed... Oh, I just walked the last half of it. Walked. But it just seemed impossible. You know, you pushed yourself so hard, it seemed impossible to get another 15 foot through the water. It was an un, unglorious sporting achievement. I never won anything sporting ever. Well, we did talk about hockey on the radio show today and it um, came to pass that it came to... To pass, I realised that you'd never played hockey because you no. played lacrosse. So we we only played lacrosse at school. Yeah, we didn't play hockey at all. And that looked always looked to me like an utterly impossible game. So you run Terrifying. around with a stick with a net on the end. Yeah, and what happens? So well, you've got a ball as hard as a cricket ball that has to go at kind of head height, and one of the rules of the game, you know, you have to catch it and throw it. Uh, you know, you can't bounce it or dribble it along the ground or anything like that. Uh, so no, I found it really, really terrifying. I was quite often in goal, oh where my God, but that's that's yeah, cruelty. I'd just be padded up to the eyeballs and just uh, flinch a lot. Actually, You've that's my sporting easy, triumph. Flinching. Really not had an easy life, have you? No, not at all. But the but the funny thing is, I really like some bits of sport later on in life. I absolutely love swimming now, and uh, and I'm quite kind of oh, I don't know. I'm just much more adventurous now. It took me forty years to have any confidence in anything sporting at all. Well, I'm not surprised after that yeah. goal. So if you were any out there and you're a person who had to fling a lacrosse ball in the general direction of so the So I have a broken finger, to, which was a lacrosse ball. Uh, God, it's absolutely brutal. It's absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. Right. Come on, own up. Was that you? Jane and Fee <laughs> at times.radio. Face the consequences. You knew it was coming. And please watch Happy Valley tonight so we can talk about it tomorrow. OK, uh, I will make sure that I do that. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll watch it through my broken finger like that because I can still see quite a lot through it. Brian and Barbara will be with me. It'll all be fine. They've turned into bats. They just fly across the room, Jane, at head height, like a lacrosse ball, actually. God. Yeah, no, they're very funny. Look, at the stick moment. them on Instagram, make a fortune, and you too could be Amanda Owen. Only you could herd kittens. Definitely preferable because in, in a way we've linked all the different subjects, haven't we? The vulnerability of being a woman in a car, UTIs, nine children, sheep, sport. <laughs> and ooh, isn't it cold? Right, like everything's like covered. a very, very, very drunk woman's hour. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us Off Air very soon. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.